If you've ever listened to this podcast or watched any of my videos or read any of my blog posts at any point, you'll know that I love to talk about entrepreneurship in different forms. In this case, I have the opportunity to be part of a panel discussion uh, about entrepreneurship in general uh, in a unique setting. It was hosted by the City of Brampton and Chinkuzi uh, Secondary School, a high school in Brampton, Ontario. Um, but the unique setting was that we were actually in the Bramley City Centre Mall, former massive warehouse size location of Sears, which is now bankrupt here in Canada. Um, but we had a really awesome uh, Sunday full of um, hacking, well, coding, building, developing, creating by these high school students, uh, about 200 of them. And so the panel discussion that you're about to hear features uh, a few of our unique perspectives, you know, from the um, city side, the government side. We had uh, Dan Bishon, who has been working at the City of Brampton uh, Entrepreneur Center for quite some time. We also had uh, Radia Taylor moderating, and she uh, helps to run a online publication called Bramptonist, and uh, has been super active in the community in various ways. And then we also had Priya, who runs a, a unique organization called Our Wave Hub. Uh, and she does that based in Toronto, but she, she's from Brampton here and has done a ton of work in the community and has organized her own uh, events and been part of Hackathon. So uh, take a listen to this in-depth uh, discussion. The audio is decent. Uh, at, at times, uh, it may be difficult to hear some of the questions, um, but you can definitely hear our, our panel discussion where we talk about entrepreneurship, uh, especially as a uh, as it pertains to getting started or as a student. Enjoy. Um, my first idea was maybe around 16, 17. Uh, just, actually, 18. We just started uh, university and a couple of our friends, we realized, hey, there's a gap in the industry what we did was create this website, a portal that really designed um, <clears throat> book trading to other students. The ultimate goal of our business was to actually get books for free by trading with other um, individuals. What we quickly realized that it was a huge gap. A lot of students wanted their books delivered to them. So we worked with a lot of the publisher companies uh, like McGraw to work on delivering those books and students purchasing those books on our particular platform. Eventually, I realized we were making a little bit of money. It actually helped us pay for school, uh, the four of us, and we shut down the site, unfortunately, and then we started to do real estate investments. So that's sort of my little high-level quick story. Um, my ideas before Arnwave were very, they weren't real ideas, they are like, uh, can we trade, like you said, books for other things? Can we 
create like web platforms for mentorship and things like that, but none of them really worked out. Our way was probably the first real idea that, that actually got funded and, and we're actually building out. Um, the idea from our wave stemmed from my own university experience where um, I, I, I was sort of feeling this gap between what I was studying and how the real world functions. And like there's there's got to be some way where um, we can we can identify people who are like you guys in the crowd who have all these ideas and, and nurture them, expose them to all these different people within industry. Um, and, and some sort of there's there's some opportunity to create a pathway that bridges school and industry. Um, that that's sort of what I'm building now. Awesome. Uh, so for me, I started uh, when I was in high school. Uh, I took a communication technology course. I don't know if any of you guys have that ComTech program, but um, I learned a lot about design, uh, just the basics of you know layout, logo design, that type of stuff. And um, I started actually being asked by other uh, teacher, teachers, sorry, uh, family, friends, uh, to help them with their own design projects. So I started, you know, just just making some money on the side as a freelance designer. Didn't really know what I was doing, um, but I learned web as well. Uh, learned a lot about video, and so when I was in university, I decided to start um, putting together all the different people I know that specialize in different skills in the creative marketing world, and kind of put together a team. Uh, freelancers. I didn't have to hire anyone. There was no one on staff, obviously. Um, but that was a, a really good way to build up my roster to be able to get bigger projects. So I built that up to the point when I graduated from university, I didn't really need to apply for any jobs. I just started um, building my agency from there. <laughs> um, but that's the thing. You have so many ideas. And I think, I know for me, that was one of the hardest things that I ever had to deal with is the fact, oh my God, I'm interested in 500 things. How do you narrow down what it is that you actually want to focus on? To be honest, to answer this question, because we had, my group had a, this problem, and we realized what we had to do is actually survey our customers, talk to our customers, maybe pick out of the 500 ideas, uh, maybe 10 ideas, and then, actually, and then get our groups to survey our customers. What, where are there gaps in the marketplace? Are customers willing to purchase that particular product, service? Because there's no sense of building up this awesome program, platform, whatever it is, and then realize no one wants it. And then you get a whole bunch of feedback, hey, why didn't you do it this way? Why don't you do it this way? So it's always important for your, at least for me, to create the most, the MVP, so the minimal valuable product, the very smallest point, the cost effective point to display to your customer base and go, is this a great idea? Let your customers give you that answer. And you might get an answer, no, it's it sucks. Great, you, you redo it, you reiterate it. Then you go again, and you talk to your customer base, and then you find out that, hey, there's certain features that are great about this product, and then you re, you change it to ensure that you're, you have that customer base demand. And then once you develop that customer base, then you can start expanding it and expanding it. I always recommend that you always, always talk to your customers. And then I'm actually gonna ask this one for Priya and for Daniel.
because the two of you, when you, like you start on a team, but you two started individually. So then how, how difficult is it to actually get people that want to support what you're doing? Because that's also the hardest part. Like you're, you're scared that you're gonna go in. You're like, well, like people will say it's cool, but that's that. Yeah, so just echoing what Dan said, I think the customer discovery piece is really important. Um, but more so than that, um, especially, so with building our way, we need um, support from both academic institutions and industry, right? So we have to go and sell the idea to, to universities, to colleges, um, and to industry, to, uh, to companies like Google, IBM, and, and Microsoft. But the root of why I think people support me is because um, one, sure, there's a need, and there's there are all these stats that back um, the nature of jobs shifting in the coming years. So there's there's obviously a need uh, to train and develop students differently. But two, um, I, I think people support the entrepreneur. Do you know what I mean? Like they they buy into you and your story and and find ways to become your champion. So. Um, really having really making sure that the why why you started is a genuine why and not um, and not one that's self-branding or self-promotion and, and things like that i think that goes a long way because other people see that right very immediately like if you sit in front of someone and you put a story that you're not passionate about they feel it but um if you do if you if you tell a story that is authentically your story and you're like this is why only i can solve this People, people buy into it. Yeah, definitely the echoing that about your personal story. So that's why before you ever launch a business or a startup, it's important to look a little bit about your personal brand, right? Like who are you? What do you What do you like to post about on social media? Who do you follow? Who do you hang out with? Um, that has an impact on the type of business and the idea that you can pursue. The biggest thing is having people respect you or at least see you as someone who uh, is an expert in that area, right? You can't be an expert in everything, but for me, like starting way back to volunteering in high school to design posters for all these events, right? People just automatically started knowing me as the guy who, who knows how to do design work, right? So that kind of reputation just sticks with you to the point where you are ready to launch something. Um, you know, it's, you already have that credibility in that base. Um, but the second thing to worry about is competition because obviously um, once you're out there, if you're a designer, if you're building apps, there's thousands of people, you know, this whole room of people is technically your competition. Obviously, you want to be able to collaborate with each other. Um, but really, you know, you guys could all be applying for the same jobs or starting the same startups, right? So finding what your actual differentiator is, whether it's like, you know, you have a certain angle that you're an expert in another industry, you can pair that with technology, whether you have like a social purpose or a social good side to it, whatever that is, um, trying to figure that out early on is, is really helpful. I, I can just add to that, um, even internally when you're building a team or when you start as a solo founder and need to build build a team that uh, sort of drives the mission further, um, it, it does totally come back to the why as well because um, if you if you build a team of people that are only are only there for you because they want they're only doing a job, right? Like if they only treat them like a nine to five, I think you go not as far as a team where you have people are, who are super passionate about why you're doing what you're doing and see the need for the world to have what, what you're trying to build. Um, they go 
they go the mile, they, they go the extra mile for you to do anything, right? Whether it's a, a, a DOF or, or a pitch deck or whatever it is, like there's a very clear difference in the type of person who is in it for the job and who's in it for the one. Right? One more thing is they both talk about passion and that's really important. Each and every one of you have a unique network. And look at your network, what individuals um, you have in your network, what they can potentially help you with. Those are, those are really interesting individuals that you can tap into to get uh, customer feedback for whatever product and service that you're particularly bring, uh, building out. Those should be your go-to individuals first, and and because you're passionate about it and you have this network, you'll be able to get an answer relatively quickly. Okay, I'm gonna ask one more question, and after that, if anyone in the audience has any questions, you'll be able to ask as well. Um, let's talk about failure. Failure is one of the most taboo things on top of that. I mean, now, especially in the age of Instagram, we always hear about people who are having 10,000 followers and they get the money and the sponsorships, etc., etc., etc. But of course, you all know there is failure along the way of entrepreneurship. So, what is the, what do you consider to be the biggest failure along your path to success, and what did you learn from it? Personally, for me, it was building out a, I won't say the product because I'm actually embarrassed about it, but building out a product, not talking to my customers, and realizing we spent thousands of dollars building this product out and and no one wanted to purchase it. That was my biggest failure. However, in regards to failure, you know, one thing I learned is, hey, I need to talk to my customer base. Failure is a good thing. I know in school they don't teach you it's okay to fail, but it's okay to fail. But the key thing about failing is understanding why you fail. Understand, gain those key items and realizing, okay, this is why I failed, this is, this is the reason, this is how we're gonna change it, so your next idea, your next uh, invention, your next product, you, you correct those failure mistakes. Do you wanna go first? Sure. <laughs> sure. Um, for me, I've had like a lot of small failures along the way. I've been running my agency for almost six years now, and uh, one of the biggest ones that has to do with the client experience early on uh, was, you know, I, I was working with one of one of the, I won't say which one, but it was an academic institution, uh, so post-secondary institution, and um, we assumed that of course they'd be a very, you know, reliable professional client, um, but for whatever reason, the committee we were working with um, kind of, had, we didn't have enough communication with them, so halfway through the project they had like taken a different turn, um, so from our perspective, they pretty much wanted to pull the plug halfway through the project, uh, which of course for us, I as the business owner, I had already paid everyone who's working on this project, right? Not only that, they weren't going to pay us the second half, but they even wanted a refund, which in that you know in that point in your business, you're supposed to have contracts that prevent that from happening, right? So that could have been a huge failure for me um, because I pretty much could have been out of money. Uh, not only to pay the people, but also I would have been in the negatives because they wanted a refund. So um, to overcome that, we basically offered to do like one final pitch for them to see like if they would go for it or not. Um, I brought in like extra people, we did the pitch. They still voted it down. Uh, turns out they didn't really have the budget in the first place that, to, to actually 
pursue the project. <laughs> um, but for me, like the, the what I learned from that like failure was like be in constant communication with your client the whole way through. Uh, always check in and always know really where they're coming from. Um, I think one of uh, along the ways and so the way I would describe this stage of my company so very much so in the thick of building it. Um, and last year we were supposed to do a, a huge conference summit thing. Um, and uh, I, I think so the larger problem or failure here is that um, sometimes as entrepreneurs, uh, because you're so caught up in, in the process of trying to, to bring something to life that you think you can do everything, right? And um, I think that was that was my failure. The conference didn't happen, um, but a, a lot learned from it. Um, and the reason it didn't happen is because I thought, like, I don't need a team. I can just pull this off, right? And this was supposed to be like an 800,000 person conference <laughs> at the city at the city of Brampton. Daniel Vision can vouch for this, but um, it did not happen. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, well, the the larger lesson here to learn is that. Um, as entrepreneurs or, or potential founders in the next five to ten years, um, you guys would be, you guys are going to be super passionate about something and want to try and bring it to life. But always remember that you probably can't do everything, right? Like you, you have a very, you have a certain skill set, and you need to find people who believe in you and, and your why again, and try and leverage all of their skill sets to collectively build something. So. I'm just going to add one more thing. A lot of entrepreneurs, they make one critical mistake, is they get emotionally attached to their products and their um, services that they're building out. Try to step away. You gotta build a team out to echo what Priya said. You have to build a team out to make you sometimes go, hey, that's not gonna work. Or literally go to your customer base. I, I, I hate to keep saying this, but go back to your, who's gonna buy this product and service and let them give you a reality check because all of us are very passionate about what we do, but what happens is we get so emotionally attached to the products and services that we uh, provide, we sometimes forget, hey, maybe it's not the way it should be in the marketplace. And your customers will tell you that. So just remember that. And again, failure, it's okay to fail. And fail a hundred times, but as long as you learn every step of the way, uh, each failure, then it's not a failure, it's just a building stone for your next big idea. Thank you. Okay, questions from the audience. Does anyone have any questions? Uh, my name is Mustafa. Um, my question would be, what is the lesson that took the longest time for you guys to learn? My, one of my lessons is ensuring that you have the right team. Uh, and that this cost me about maybe five years of my life, is realizing sometimes we, you might be friends with individuals, but when you're building out a business, when you're building out uh, a new technology or product or service, you gotta realize that you have friends and then you have partners. And if you are able to separate those two individuals from a partner to a friend, it will help you quite a bit of time. Because there, it, it took me a long time to realize, you know what, I was carrying one of my friends all the way through this project just because he's close to me. And what I should have done years ago, go, hey, you know what, you're not the right fit for my group. 
uh, you need to leave and get the right individual in there. And just identifying those skills that are missing in your group uh, will take you very far ahead. It's something I wish I learned a lot earlier, but for you guys to think about right away. Um, I think I have two answers for this. So one is that uh, for the longest time, and I think I still kind of struggle with this, is um, as entrepreneurs, you're, you're so caught up again in, in building whatever you're building that you don't give time for yourself, right? And um, how many of you have heard about what burnout is? Um, <laughs> um, not Daniel. <laughs> um, but so burnout is real, right? And it took me a really long time to not feel guilty when I wasn't working, right? Like, I would, I'm still the type of person, I'm here on a Sunday, and this is like, um, this is what I love to do, right? And I, I love entrepreneurship, I love problem solving and, and building stuff, so every, there was no Saturday, Sunday for me, it was just work while you're awake and just sleep while you sleep, right? And that kind of mindset is, is really difficult because you hit a point where you start resenting work. You're like, I work so much, I have no time to do anything else. This is horrible, right? So um, I think that was one of the lessons that I, I took the longest for me to learn is that it's okay to, to take time for yourself. Um, the second thing is uh, to have hard conversations, as Dan said earlier. So hard conversations and being super honest and transparent about your decisions, your next move and things like that with, with your team, right? Um, with whoever you found a company or, or whoever works with you, it, I, I think you, like I'm also the type of person who hates confrontation, right? So if I have to fire someone, let's say, um, I'd wait till the last possible uh, time that I, I can fire them and then do it. But that's actually worse for your business than it is help, like, you're trying to be nice by not firing them, do you know what I mean? But it's actually, it, it impacts you and your business more than actually have, like sitting down and facing it and having the hard conversation earlier. Yeah, I would echo what both of, they said, both of them said about the team uh, side of things, because that can be make or break. Um, but the other thing is your clients or your customers, right? So when you're in a service business, you actually have you know, direct clients paying the bills. Um, when you're building a product, you might see the clients later on, right, once, once it's ready. But um, for me, uh, I guess what I would do differently is uh, get rid of certain clients. So, you know, you can get fired by your client, but what we need to do more of is fire your clients. So th there's, it sounds pretty, yeah, it sounds dramatic, but um, there's a lot of situations where someone's either not paying you enough for an extended period of time, uh, or there's a situation where maybe they're not the nicest people to your team, right? So you're subjecting your team to those those people. Um, but it really, it puts a lot of pressure on you and your business and, and uh, it's not necessary, right? Sometimes if you look at the dollars, it's just not worth it. Uh, so consider firing your, your clients. <laughs> on that note, when I fired my last client, oh my God, the best moment of my life. <laughs> All right, does anyone here have any questions? In the back, sorry, can you come in the front because the wires door at my end? And we'll have enough for you, and then you had a question as well. Okay, so we'll do two of you. Um, what would you say is the best approach to a business idea, especially when it's in like its earlier stages? Good question. Um, so there's a couple of cool tools that are available online, and but 
one thing, there's two tools I would download. Uh, the Lean uh, Model Canvas is your first tool that you should download. It's sort of a nine block um, canvas that looks at problems and solutions. And just follow it. I'm going to be around so uh, I can help you through it, but you should identify what the problems are, what are some of the gaps, right? And it's really working out the idea on paper with a few individuals. And then once you have those problems and solutions, you have about 200 students here taking that and asking some specific questions to see if these problems and gaps that you identify are actual problems and gaps. The other tool I probably would use after the Lean Model Canvas is probably the Business Model Canvas. They're very similar, but it sort of helps you create the business model around your particular business and seeing where are some gaps that you're missing within the business and then how do you identify where to get those particular skill sets and who do you need to talk to to maybe meet those particular channels or meet those customers or meet those suppliers and etc. Yeah, I think those two tools are, are, are super key. I, I use them when um, not just our we have but many other, uh, many other ideas before. It's a very holistic view of um, thinking of an idea. Um, but another thing, just to echo what Dan said too, is the customer discovery piece, right? Um, actually collecting data from people who are potential partners, users, customers, the whole the whole lot, right? Because if you're creating the business because you think it's a good idea, it's probably not it's probably not a good idea. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like you should go talk to people as much as you can. Go talk to people because all of that data, even if it disproves your idea, um, at least you know. Do you know what I mean? Like as opposed to building building out whatever, a dashboard, an app or um, this really cool tech tool that will be really ha like your user adoption will be really hard because no one wants it, right? So you have to really spend time. I think I spent a good like nine months on customer discovery, just figuring out who my customer is, who my user is, and there's a difference in the two, right? So the, the lean model canvas really helps with that, but really, really spending time and, and validating or disproving your idea. I made one question here. So I'm interested, um, what would you say is the most important thing to consider when trying to uh, convince a client that seems unconvinced during a presentation? Yeah, so for me, instead of focusing so much on your solution, it's reminding them of their problem. Because if all they can think about is their problem, they're gonna be very interested in anything you have to say that's a solution, right? So reminding them of their problem and reminding them of the stats that if you have any data about it, well, they can't really argue against that. I'm gonna take a hit on this particular one. One thing that I recommend is really um, work on your pitch. Like develop your particular pitch. What are you gonna say to this problem? I do 100% and since I've been up here, I've been talking about talk to your customers and identifying the gap. I do 100% agree with Dan in regards to identifying their problem, speaking about their problem and being able to articulate their, um, the pitch that you're providing. Um, 
If you'd like, I can provide you some pitch worksheets that might be able to help you through this particular process. The other thing, actually I'm going to add on to this though, I know I'm moderating. Um, the other thing that I found always helped was number one, talking about experience and benefits, but not actually talking about the product in itself. Because people want to know the products and they want to know the actual, you know, what they're going to get out of it. But they also want to know when it comes down to what the problem is, how you're going to be solving the problems. And there's sometimes you're able, if you have enough research behind you, you're able to go into a pitch and they're going to end up talking through to you, number one, what the problem is, and then also what they're hoping their solution is. And that's when you're able to come out and say, hey, this is actually aligns to exactly what you said, and that's the situation that you want to be in. So definitely talk about the product, and then also ensuring that your pitch points align with the solutions that you're able to provide to give them a better experience and make their lives easier. And that's how you want to what time is it? Okay, 11.03. Are we okay for one more question? Cool, does anyone have one more question? <laughs> Another one? Yeah, by all means. How um, democratic would you say is your workplace? Alright, alright. Okay. I'm going to take care of this one right now because I feel that with the two of you working at the city, I don't really know whether it's... <laughs> Actually, you can talk about city culture afterwards, but mine. So the role that I have right now is so I'm a marketing automation specialist, and, it's, and I'm with a firm that's in 33 different countries. So the difference that I know I have versus what they have is that I have less red tape because with, they have to go through a structured protocol, whereas with me, I get to talk to all the directors of all the different countries, and specifically in marketing, and if I want to, I can literally email the CMO of a, a 33 country uh, organization. Um, and I think that's what makes it very, very different. Because I've also been in other places where I have to go through you know, the different stages of management in order to be able to go up there. Whereas now I can bypass that because I, by the way, the product that I'm working on is the one of the main, it's called key performance indicators, which is essentially what is one of the goals the company wants to achieve across the globe, and I manage one of them for my division. Um, so as a result, but the thing is, this is also a company that's been developing for 50 years. This, this country, or Canada's division, has been there for maybe nine years. So that's gonna be very, very different in the experience, and also the humility of a company, and also protecting your own desk versus what other experiences are gonna be like. But what I can say, because I have been in their situation, is that when other people are able to share with me their knowledge and I'm able to share my knowledge with them, it creates a more even ground where you have less protection of your desk and therefore you're able to inspire more ideas. And when people have knowledge, they're able to thrive. So she mentioned the last thing you mentioned was knowledge, right? So a lot of times decision makers, whether they're the direct direct person you're asking or the person three levels above them, they don't necessarily have the background information to even make the decision, right? So a lot of times people will say no or just stray away from things that they're either afraid of or they don't understand the risks or they don't understand the benefits, right? So like literally informing them first before you're even like approaching them or pitching something new to them, uh, I think is great. And then if that fails, trying trying a mini version of that, even if they don't authorize it just to be able to show them, right? Just to be able to show them that it could potentially work. 
Uh, just to echo what Dan said, what uh, I'm going to specifically look at Devin over here, right beside you. Uh, you know, working at the city in the past, it, it was a lot. It was harder to do these types of events and etc. So what we did was, you know what, we created some mini events, just like Dan said, break through display, do a pilot test and say, hey, this is how this event would work. Now if we times it by two, this is what the result is. And one thing I would recommend or for you to understand is it's better to go in with numbers. If you go by yourself, it might be a hard sell. But if you have a team of five or six or ten individuals saying the exact same thing, go, this is what we need to do, this is how we move the business to the next step, um, you're going to be listened to, right? Exactly. And, and just building that. Because if you're unable to convince your colleagues with uh, your idea, it's going to be really hard to convince your upper management, etc. And and then that helps with the democratic process internally because you sort of shift that that faith into the group versus into one individual. Well, I was actually, I was, I was questioning the nature of local business, right? Uh, so not just in terms of what we can potentially do in the future, but also as a current organization. Uh, if you, for instance, give the people who are below you or above you, like, what is the relationship? One of the advantages that you have as, as an entrepreneur or you starting your own business is you can decide what culture you want to create. Okay, that's up to you. And you can have a, a, a democratic type of culture, a creative culture. Unfortunately, there are a lot of companies that have closed cultures and highly despotic types of things. And you can, you can do that because you need to understand how to roll that out from the very beginning. And the best way to summarize that is that if you're seeing a foosball table and a pool table in the office, but they don't have a proper strategic plan, but you only are putting in fun things because you think that's what cool, like it's cool and it's a startup and that's what, you have all seen this, you've all seen this. It's not the right fit. People want to be in a culture where they can thrive and they're nurturing their education and, and there's a vision but you're not killing yourself at 9 p.m. at night, checking your phone and losing out on your life because of it. Because there needs to, there should be a way that the outside experiences that you have are able to really help the position you're in. So yeah, so it's not so much speaking from like a corporate structure or a city structure. Um, government obviously there's very specific things that are in place uh, when I run my agency um, there are a lot of decisions that my team will want to make on their own and usually I'll, I'll still make them run them by me then I get to make the decision whether or not I have the most relevant viewpoint or they do if they're the ones that have been 
super close to that project, right? Sometimes there's in principle decisions I would make, but the exception is going to be, hey, they've actually experienced this. They're the ones that can make that decision. So you empower them to, to make it, right? But one of the things that's really hard as a startup leader is you don't want to make it seem like they can always make the decision on their own, right? So you have to still have that level of like, here's the things that you're going to stand for, and then here's the things that you want to allow them to decide, right? It's, it's a matter of just realizing what your skills are and what your team's skills are, right? I, I um, just going back to creating your culture, I think that's that's where I my perspective comes from. So when like I have a small team of like four or five other people that I work with on contracts, and the culture that I I try and really really enforce is that it's okay to make mistakes, but not okay not to learn from them. Do you know what I mean? Like if, if like someone is making like it, it, it can't yeah you can it can't be a culture where you can just make mistakes all the time because then. The quality of work reflects in me. Do you know what I mean? Like it comes back to, oh, she's saying that's okay, right? Um, but it's not a so it, it like I I've, I've stopped working with people because of that, right? Like that it, like it's okay, not it's okay to make mistakes, but if you're not learning from them, there's something wrong, right? But that uh, quickly touching to to Radha's on Radha's point as well, culture is very different from perks. Do you know what I mean? Like having a really nice office and having uh, like beer on tap or, or coffee on tap, all of those, all of that are perks, but culture is how you function as a team, right? And as a leader, I think that that's super, super important there. There are two things that make a great company, I think, and they're people and culture, right? Um, oh yeah. Adding on to Priya's point really quickly, one of the best things I've ever seen with any team member, any staff member I've had, is if you make, if you make a mistake, you own the mistake. So it's not just being able to learn from it, it means not being sheepish and trying to slide it underneath the rug. If you make a mistake, you say, yo, I made this mistake, you let everyone know around you that's involved in the team, yes, I'm gonna fix this for next time, and if you need to ask someone as to how to fix it, that's fine. But you have to be able to own it, because if you don't, that's gonna go up to a manager, or it's going to go to someone else, and that's when you start getting that passive-aggressive environment, and that's when, if you are the CEO of a company, then the people underneath are not going to be able to trust you. Yeah, and that's and that's one of the biggest parts. Yeah. Uh, if you look at all the successful leaders within the startup community, you know one thing that they have in common is they're literally talking to their employees every day. They're, they're understanding who, what clients they're dealing with. They, they haven't understood, at a high level, right? But they, they're really committed to their employees. So uh, I know the question wasn't an effective leader, but I'm gonna sort of shift it that way. It's just really talking to your team, understanding what some of their, per even their personal endeavors, what are some of their struggles in the workplace, and then actually actioning some of those issues. I mean, that's how you build trust in an organization and culture in an organization. One of the things that startups and these small and medium-sized businesses uh, don't put enough importance in is just simple, basic human resource management starting out with a job description for everybody in your organization. And that job description actually decides, actually determines what authority you have 
to make decisions or not to make decisions and on what and what circumstances? Uh, yes, it's creating something so you know exactly what you're responsible for in your job and what you can and cannot do and in the, in the event that you need uh, some advice, who to go to. Right? Uh, understanding what, that also helps you to understand what skills you may be lacking or what skills you, you have. If you got that job in the first place, then you can get your job with your organization. So it makes it very, very clear and it keeps people up working more engaged. All right, we have to close off. <laughs> Thank you all for coming. Um, if you have any questions, once again, Daniel. Daniel, how long are you going to be here for? Another uh, hour. Daniel will be here for another hour. Priya, how about you? Another hour, and Daniel, how about you? Okay, so most of us are coming back later on in the day. If any of you have any questions, once again, my name's Radha. I'm a reporter, and also I work at a recruitment company, so this is my jam. So <laughs> feel free to ask us any questions you might have. Thank you so much. Well, if you made it to the end, thank you so much for listening. I hope you found at least something valuable in that uh, fairly long panel discussion. Um, the, the questions could have gone on for much longer, but of course they had to uh, shut down the panel, which was actually taking place in the middle of the hackathon with students uh, in groups coding and building stuff around. So if you have any questions for any of the panelists or myself, and you did, uh, like I said, get this far in the podcast, feel free to shoot me a message on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. Uh, you can just search me by my name, Daniel Francovilla, and uh, links are in the description.